When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt, Alex Brandt-Bernard Rasmussen, Melissa Kirk, Andy Brandt-Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. A couple of great guests this hour, David Brown in the uh, second uh, half of the hour. He wrote a book about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Uh, coming up next, Rick Riley, Commander in Cheat. <laughs> That's the name <laughs> of the book. We'll be right back with Rick Riley and the family. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Good music today, sister. 
That's all I know. We're stacked uh, this hour. Darkness Dave hit the road, but thanks to Darkness for coming in. I always like talking to him on the show. Tell me when Mr. Riley's ready to go, and we'll... He's on the phone. Jump into it. Oh, he is good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Riley, Commander-in-Chief, How Golf Explains Trip. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How's it going there? Marvelously well. Uh, I do this afternoon show, and then I also do a morning show in Minneapolis on KQRS Radio, and uh, we talked last week about this. I'm wow. so glad to see you on the docket for the afternoon show as well. That's all I do is work, Rick. I hear you, buddy. <laughs> no, actually, we talked about... Uh, I hear you. We talked about playing golf. You made some great points. Uh, the, the book's called Commander and Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump, an outrageous indictment of Donald Trump's appalling behavior when it comes to golf on and off the green and whatever it reve- and what it reveals about his character. Well, first of all, um, anybody that has to tell you over and over again, I'm the president, is kind of odd to me. Yeah. Um, although I do think that you should take, take the lead from Donald Trump and you should call yourself the Rick what do you think? He went with the Donald, so you can go with the Rick. Well, I think it was taken. Remember that ad on ESPN for years? Here at the Rick, oh, yeah. it was a guy that had no life. Yeah, that's kind of my life. So that's fun. <laughs> that was that's right. gone. the Rick. I forgot about that. Oh, God, that's phenomenal. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah uh, we talked about... No, you've never played golf with Donald Trump, have you? Yes, oh, yes. Yes, I have. In fact, uh, oh, it's quite an experience playing golf with Donald Trump because he doesn't just lie about himself. I mean, he lies about his handicap, says he's a three, he's really a ten. He lies about winning 20 club championships. But what he doesn't tell you <laughs> is that whenever he opens a new course, he, he plays the new course the first round by himself and declares that the club championship. So about half sure. of those 20 are those. The other half are like fake. He won one... <laughs> While he was in Philadelphia and the tournament was in New Jersey, he won one as president when he was in Singapore, and they were holding okay. it in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> so, yeah, but when you play with him, so he lies about himself, but then he lies about you. Like, he's walking me around, and at that time I was with Sports Illustrated, and he was like, this sure. is Rick Riley. He's the publisher of Sports Illustrated. Oh, this is Rick Riley. He's the managing editor of Sports Illustrated. I'm like, no. <laughs> No, I'm just a writer. And then he'd be like, uh, oh, this is Luigi. He was voted uh, he was voted best spaghetti chef in the world. And Luigi's looking at me like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you lie about me? Why are you lying about me? You don't have to lie about me. And he's like, ah, it sounds better. And I remember my buddy sounds had dinner better. with him and Melania in 2016. And she mm-hmm. said, well, where are you from, Melania? This is the first time they'd met her. And she said, I am from Slovenia. And Trump turns to her and says, say Austria. It sounds better. Oh, my God. I mean, this is nut-making. This is crazy. I think it's wonderful. It's just that anybody that lives in that world, is is this all about, and the last time I talked to you after we were done talking, I wanted to, uh, I thought of this whole situation. Is this all because his father pushed and pushed and pushed and he was a very successful man? Is this all about trying to compete with daddy? Well, you know, I got, I had a long talk with the, with Trump's biographer, a woman named Gwenda Blair. She's written three, three books about his life. And she said, it absolutely is. The, the father yeah. would take the boys, yeah. never the girls and say, you have to win. Win at all costs. I want you to be a winner. Um, and so 
he didn't, his father didn't play golf, but Trump didn't play golf until he got to college. And he learned in Philadelphia at this, uh, at the municipal inner city course called the Cobbs Creek. Well, Cobbs Creek sure. happens to be a hotbed for gamblers, con artists, hustlers, you know, the kind of guys like you're playing him in a match that comes down to 18 and he can't find his ball. And then he says, I found it. And it's not possible because you're standing on his ball. <laughs> that was, that's the <laughs> yeah. famous thing that happened at Cobbs Creek. So he somehow got the idea in college that you got to cheat your opponent before he cheats you. And the book is full of stories, not just cheating, uh, not just cheating anybody, cheating Tiger Woods, cheating Mike Tirico, I mean, sure. uh, Doc Rivers, just a bunch of stuff. So, but also cheating people that he owed money to, like, he about broke this one architect. He owed him five hundred grand, ended up giving him about a hundred. Uh, he got sued by the the little company, the little guy named Carlos Enriquez in Miami, who painted Doral and was owed three hundred, and Donald wouldn't pay it. Right. <laughs> and they said, "Why? Well, I paid you enough." He had to sue the standing president of the United States and won. God. And 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 fees. So it's like the world's upside down. Like we have. A guy that doesn't pay his bills running the country. You know, Rick, let me ask you a question. Because it's always confused me about these people will do anything for money. They'll cheat their friends. They'll cheat everybody comes in. Just all about money. But uh, as an example, of a, there was a guy in, in Minneapolis named Erwin Jacobs, and he you know worth a couple hundred million dollars. He was a corporate raider back in the 80s. And his wife came down with uh, dementia, and she was in a wheelchair, so he shot her and then shot himself. So all of that money made Jesus. no difference. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a hell of a story. It just happened uh, last week, Rick. Well, it, not to correct you, but money. it's not about money for Trump. Because Trump, no, Trump really. is very generous. And no, it's not about money. He'll pay for the caddies. He, of course, it's his club. And he only plays his club, by the way. And he has mm-hmm. a jerry-rigged cart that he goes 50 miles an hour and no one else gets to have it. <laughs> but it's just about beating you. It's just about saying he kicked your ass. Like with me, really? he took a gimme tip in. He, took, he wrote down, I made a six, and he wrote down a four. And I said, how, how are you getting four there? Because we were betting total strokes. He's like, oh, once in a round, I can take a four for a six. I'm like, well, so oh. I, but I play by some cool. So it's not about <laughs> the money because he doesn't even take your money sometimes. And then he always buys, he always goes, gets a big table, big round table for lunch, and he buys 20 cheeseburgers and 20 fries and Diet Cokes and ice cream, and anybody can come up and eat with him. And so he's quite a character, but it's all about telling the world that he kicked your ass. And I don't know why he has to do that, because this psychiatrist explains to me, he says, losing to him or not being number one to him is like, Someone, someone like dragging their fingernails down a chalkboard to you. He just can't stand it. Right. And so even if you beat him, and I have a few stories in the book about people that beat him, <laughs> uh, oh. he's like, he won't pay you. He doesn't want to pay you. And when he finally pays you, he usually says this, which is, it's okay. I got a hot girlfriend and a white Rolls Royce. So there now you he's trying to say, yeah, it's okay. I'm the president and you're a nobody. That's literally what he has said to people. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, so before I forget this, I don't, I don't know why he passed away. I, I want to mention this to you. I, when we were talking last week, I talked about the fact that I'm not a very good golfer, but I've had a couple holes in one. And, and Rocco Mediate, I told you, is a friend of mine, and I told Rocco what you had said to me. 
And right. he thought it was brilliant, and I did too. You said at that point, when you made those two holes in one, you were better than Tiger Woods. And by the way, that was a bit prophetic there, Mr. Riley, because Tiger happened to win the Masters right. yesterday. So that was a good yeah. call on your part. I almost made a hole in but one no. on 16, which would yeah. have reversed the earth spin if that ball would have gone in. <laughs> I think you might be right. You know? But I, I, Incredible. I just think, I, I just think the whole idea of uh, well, a lot of people do cheat at golf, or at least fudge things. I don't know if you. I, I, it's still che- uh, is it cheating if if you're not gambling? I, it is to me, but some people don't. Well, if I'm not gambling, what do you care? Well, it's not your score. Uh, yeah, That's, of course, you know. cheating. And I mean, and maybe I'm just too sensitive about this because I was brought no. up to say my dad said you don't cheat your friends, you don't cheat your opponent. Uh, golf. Is a game of gentlemen. We call our own penalties. There's no, there's no reps in golf, pretty much. Right. And so I think it's just wrong. I always say golf is like bicycle shorts. It reveals a lot about a guy. And the way he cheats, <laughs> I mean, he kicks it out of the rough so often, the caddies at Wingfoot call him Pele. So, I mean, it says a lot. It's a window, it's a window into a guy's soul. It is. Um, I remember Jason Day, I think it was at Harbortown. I'm not sure, but I think it was Harbortown. Several years ago, he took his club back and brushed the flora or fauna or whatever the hell you want to call it. Whatever. What, some little, <laughs> little leaf hazard, sticking right, out. Right. Yeah, right. And yeah. he called it on himself. It, nobody would have noticed it, that he did it. They had to get a close-up of the shot showing that his, that his club did brush the little overhanging leaf or or fawn or I don't know fawn I mean uh, whatever it was, but I'll never forget seeing that and I've been a huge fan of his ever since because he didn't have to lose that tournament he did lose it because he called a penalty on himself and I've loved that guy ever since. Well, that's that's a great story. It's not, nothing like Taylor in 1983 British Open Sandwich England. I had a one inch tap in putt and just kind of knocked it in. And then when he signed his card, he said, no, no, I didn't shoot 68. I shot 69. I whiffed the first attempt at that. It just looked like he oh. was, you know, getting ready to put it. And so he missed the playoffs in that major because he was honest. I mean, this happens all the time. It. Gary Player and Tom Watson don't even speak to each other now because Watson <laughs> accused Player of bending a weed once at a Skins game. I mean, not even... It's just a you know silly season, and player said he didn't do it, and Watson said I saw you, and they haven't spoken since. So cheating in golf is is like, I mean he look this is a guy that drives his cart on the green, so he doesn't really oh. care about the rules. He doesn't care what oh. you think of him. He just wants to win. But by the way, he he ran during his campaign three or four times. Said I'm a champion. I beat the best golfers. Hardly anybody beats me. And I, so I looked it up. At Pebble Beach Pro-Am, he played in it seven times. He never came close to making the cut with his pro partner, even though four of the seven times his pro partner did make the cut. At the Lake Tahoe Celebrity Challenge, he played three yeah. times and never finished in the top half. And, of course, one time was the time at Tahoe where he fed both a porn star and a playmate. So maybe he was tired. I don't know. Sure. He just it wore him out. He didn't have the energy. He didn't have the legs that he once had. So it all makes sense to me. I don't know. I, I, 
Yeah. Rick, I got to ask you. I got to believe golfers are just buying your book by the dozens because this is what the game's all about. To read about this, to me anyway, and like I said, I, the best I ever was, I think I got to an eight or nine one time. It just wasn't good enough to even pay that close attention. But in general, I've always been around, you know, uh, 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 16, 18, 20, it depends on what year it is and if I'm paying attention or not. So I'm a very average golfer, but I still love the rules. I still love being out on the golf course and looking at the beauty of golf courses and what a wonderful time you have with your friend. It's all of that much more important to me than than shooting a 71 or a 69 or whatever. I'd love to be able to do it. I can't do it. So let me embrace the game, right? You know, I can go down to Hennepin Street and go into a pawn shop and buy a trophy and inscribe my name and champion <laughs> on it, and then I can shine right. it up and I can put it on my fireplace mantle. But when I look in it closely, it reflects only the face of a faker. I'm just faking yep. it. And so I say this in the book. Like One of the great things about golf is trying to get better. Like I played with Clinton, and he cheated too, but in a completely different way, which is that he would hit four or five practice balls on every hole and not play them. But it's still cheating. But he wanted to get better. Yeah, it is, yeah. But Trump doesn't care yeah. about getting better. He, he instructs mm-hmm. his caddies to kick it out, throw it out of the water, throw it out of bunkers. So he's actually robbing himself of what you and I love about golf, which is yep. the day when you suddenly and, and, and really do break 80 or the day you, you make a birdie on the hardest hole on the course or the day you finally mm-hmm. hit the perfect Stand shot, he never gets that. He's robbing himself of, of the true joy of golf, in my opinion. That is exactly the way I feel. You don't know what playing golf is all about if you do things like that. You know? You just yeah, don't know what he's, playing golf is. I don't know what is. he's playing. I played with him, and that isn't golf. It's not golf what he's playing. No. It's some kind no. of Trump typhoon. I always say when you're with Trump, he's the tornado and you're the trailer. And you just hang on for dear life. <laughs> like I talked to James Patterson. You know the author, the author James Patterson. I absolutely. I played golf with him a couple times. Yeah, he says he's played with him a couple times, and he's like, I, I said, "What's it like?" He goes, "Well, you're playing three hours. There's Secret Service, SWAT teams. There's a golf cart with a Scud missile in it. Um, you know, he doesn't putt out. He wants you to putt out. He's always a hundred yards ahead of you, but it's." really kind of fun but it's not exactly golf and i'm like yeah i guess not but it's no, fine it's, just don't it's tell not. people you're a chance no, you're absolutely right. Like I said, the book, it's exactly the way I feel about the whole thing. Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump, Rick Riley, the author. The book is doing extremely well. This is a perfect, I think I brought it up to you before, final rounds uh, about a guy whose father's dying. It's a true story. A guy who took his father right. to all his favorite golf courses. Right. This, this is shoulder to shoulder yeah. with that. That's my favorite golf book of all time, and this is what golf is all about to me. I, I love it, Rick. I think it's wonderful. Well, you know, we're, uh, we're number six right now on the New York Times list, or as Trump would say, number one. <laughs> Very good. That's a great way to close it out, Mr. Riley. Thank you so much for your time again. Always, always a pleasure to see your name on the docket. That was fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be back right after this with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? 
At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never like you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Spring is here, and there's no better time to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK spring savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them I sent you and save 500 bucks on your LASIK. Offer expires June 21st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers. Uh, a little re-reference. I, I love interviewing Rick Riley. He's a great writer. He's got a great sense of humor. Like he said, uh, I'm number six on the New York Times bestsellers list. According to Trump, though, I'm number one. <laughs> <laughs> was very funny. He mentioned James Patterson, and, uh, and I said, yeah, I played golf with him a couple times. Uh, and Andy and Alex will understand this. He was a member at Breakers West. Breakers Reese Jones was the name of the golf course. And uh, I showed up over there many, many years ago, just uh, going to play by myself. And they said, well, we've got another guy you can play with. He's not playing anybody. So uh, he says, hi, I'm James. And I said, I'm Tom. And, you know, we just had a really, really good time. And we get off the golf course, and I said, he said, Tommy, I'll talk to you later. I said, nice, to, nice playing with you. I said, James, thanks a lot. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And the pro comes out. He goes, do you know who that was? And I said, yeah, James. He's a nice guy, really nice guy. And he goes, uh, that was James Patterson. James Patterson has written 114 New York Times bestsellers. What? Yes. How? What? 114. I love his books. How do you do? I do. Do that. That. There's no way he could do it by himself. Not a that chance. That guy is no. richer than no. anybody. What? I wonder what his net worth is. We uh, talked to him. He wrote a kid's book or something, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Absolutely. Yeah. Or he absolutely did. Something. But uh, I would, uh, let's see, I've got to put in James Patterson's net worth because he has got to have more money than God. Nicest guy in the world, by the way. Very, he's just really humble. Like, he never told me, yeah, I'm that phenomenal writer, uh, you know. Can you imagine how nice it must have been just to be able to go and have a, 
do yeah. yeah without oh i love your books oh yeah. i hated this one oh why'd you do that to that character i mean it would be just so nice just be a person for a day and be able to go golf i'm sure he appreciated that by the way i looked it up james patterson uh as of uh april 4th 19 uh, 2017 was worth 750 million dollars and he makes 90 million a year so he's now a billionaire holy much. lord that's <laughs> pretty good for right should have made better friends with him yeah james where are we hanging out man well i talk to him about five times a year Hey, can we borrow one of your five jets? Yeah. Yeah, he 114 bestsellers. And I think, Alex, you're, you're right. He, there's no way he could write all of them by himself. No. He probably does the final the final read-through and whatever. Yeah. But he's written a lot of books, 114 bestsellers. That is un, unbelievable. Uh, great guy, though. That's Oh, by the way, he's still not the richest author in the world. You know who that is, don't you, Andy? Richest author? J.K. Rowling. Who is the richest? You got it. That's exactly who it is. Which is depressing, but hey. Yeah, it is rather depressing. I mean, Harry Potter's Uh, good, but it's not that good. It's not richest author ever born good. No, you were pretty into it when you were 12. I love Harry Potter. Okay, you ready? Top 10 richest authors in the world. John Grisham, number 10. Barbara Taylor Bradford, number nine. You got Pleasant Roland. I never even heard of her. I don't even know who any of these these people people? are. (laughs) Number eight. Nora Roberts is number seven. You heard of Nora. Danielle Steele, you've heard of her. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King is number five. Mm. He's worth 400 million. Paulo Coelho. Mm. I don't know who Paulo Coelho is. He's a Brazilian novelist, but I I never even heard of him. Candy Spelling. How the hell can Candy Candy Spelling is a net worth of $600 million? Well, wait a minute, though. Who? Not all of her fortune is from her work as an author. Yeah, uh, it's when Aaron Spelling died and left oh, it to her. So this is a you fake list, basically. Yeah, apparently, apparently this is a fake. James Patterson is number two, and J.K. Rowling is number one. Those two, those two are accurate. Mm. But um, yeah, it was just—it was so nice. I, I didn't realize it because at the time he was probably only worth about you know six hundred and fifty million. You wouldn't have thought the guy. It, you thought maybe, oh, maybe the guy makes a couple hundred grand a year doing what he does. Nicest guy, just a kind of a goofy looking guy, you know what I mean? Just kind of is. Nicest guy in the world, but he just, he didn't, there was no pretension. There was no, hey, you should know who I am. I'm the greatest of all. It it's, was amazing. Uh, it was a lot of fun, I will tell you that. And Rick or I, I'd love to play. I'm going to have to get a hold of Rick and play golf with him someday. That'd be fun. <clears throat> I'd, I think I'd have a ball doing that. Show up at the manse. Yeah, show up at the manse. When I'll do that. Hey, Rick, let me in. James Patterson, let me in. Come on. You know, uh, James Patterson is no longer a member at uh, Breakers Reese Jones. He's now a member where? Take a guess. In in West Palm Beach, Florida. Where is he a member? Michael. Trump International. Ah. <laughs> He's a member of Trump International. That costs like a half a million to get into, doesn't it? Uh, or five, more? Yeah, 500 grand to get in. Just to play golf. Just to get in, yep. Man, you must just have money to to burn. Well, speaking of Trump, he has landed in Minneapolis, and now he's at some trucking thing. Trucking? Seriously, how many people called in sick today because they can't handle it? I'm sure there's people just dying in the streets because Trump's in town. Mm -hmm. You know, by the way, John Lastman is the producer of the morning show. You can tell what a commie he is because he didn't even bring it up on the show. You know, I, I just, whatever he brings up is what I read. So I don't think about what stories we're going to do. And I realized after the show was over, he didn't even mention the president was coming to Minnesota. <laughs> no. Like, okay, yeah, commie. Way to go, commie, Lastmental. Oh, yeah. What do you think? 
What do you mean, well, yeah? <laughs> Maybe. I'm just saying. He's a communist. What are uh, you gonna do? On a lighter note, I hear you went and saw a movie this last weekend, Tom. Oh, what a great recommendation, by the way. Uh, Catherine and I did go see Shazam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Shazam. both loved it. We loved it. We thought it was really, really good. It was too long. It's two hours it and 12 minutes. It was not too long. Two anything, hours and 12 minutes? Anything it over? Went, it moved along. Child movie length. <laughs> My dad's <laughs> like, it's too long. He's the attention span of a four-year-old child. <laughs> hey, the original Dumbo was 64 minutes. That's all I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Love it. No, Shazam was really good. The, it's kind of an anti-superhero movie. The villain in it is really scary. Uh, Shazam is wonderful. The kids who are in the movie with him are wonderful. Yeah, they were. Mm-hmm. Very, very funny. When he, he finds like out, he, he finds out he has all these powers that he didn't know he had, know. which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was a great recommendation, Cassie. We both loved it. Yeah, Catherine, I, you loved yeah. it. I mean, already knows. I already. Said. Yeah, um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Dave to it this afternoon because he hasn't seen it yet. Because he was on the He'll road. love it, I think. So I'm yep. like, oh, we have to go see Shazam. Because I, I was cracking up laughing in the movie theater. I was yeah. not yeah, ex- it was actually I had, funny. I had low expectations because it kind of looked cheesy in the mm-hmm. trailers. But it was a pleasant surprise when I saw it. And I can't wait to see it again. I think it's probably one of my all-time favorite superhero movies as of now. Yeah, I could see that. Would be for me because I don't like superhero movies, but mm-hmm. this anti-superhero movie, it doesn't mean he's not a hero in it, yeah. but he doesn't take himself very seriously. I will tell you. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, uh, what's the other one, Deadpool? Yep. Yeah. yeah, Deadpool. Yeah, I like the first one of those too. Yeah. It's just more family-friendly humor than Deadpool. <laughs> like, I wouldn't yeah. take a kid below 15 to see Deadpool. This one you could Which take a 10-year-old no. to. Which yeah. one was Bruce Willis in? A superhero movie? Yeah. No, he was in Unbreakable. Oh, you were thinking yeah, that's not a in Glass superhero movie. Glass. No, technically, it, it like is. Glass. But, but it's not like a. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I that, didn't yeah, like right. Glass. <laughs> I didn't like it. Well, Glass was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that was the one with uh, yeah, all three, all three yeah. of them. I know, he's running around in that coat. It's like, this does not make... Ugh, I didn't like it. Well, plus the fact, <laughs> all, three of them just walk, all three of them just walk through the movie. Yes, they I'm going really to go did. downstairs, and then I'm going to crush his skull. Okay, a, go crush his skull. Which is a bummer, because they're God. all three really good actors. You yeah, they are. They, they were care. not into it. Oh, by the way, in The Simpsons last week, they got... The I love it when they take shots of people. Krusty, Krusty Lou, right, is doing that. And, and, and Marge ends up producing a, a successful TV show. And he, Krusty's not, a, not happy with Marge, and he walks in his trailer and he goes, you know who's completely impossible to work with? And one of the kids goes, Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite thing in the, in the show was Krusty Lou Productions. She's doing a show, and everybody loves it. And Krusty says... And this is a commentary on how out of whack we are with media in this country. It says, they just, the ratings just came back for the show, and you set the all-time modern record for viewership, 0.6. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It was very funny. That, we've talked about that on this show, and I've talked about it on the morning show. This world has got to adjust to the fact that the demos are not what they used to be and the fact that for television you want to hold on to an 1849 demo you're insane you're going to go broke 
because there are no – do you know anybody under 40 that watches television? I mean, I'm talking about broadcast television. Do we you? Do they, they, rarely. We DVR things. Mm-hmm. You DVR things, but you do watch it. Yeah, Alex, do you watch any broadcast television? We Dan DVRs things for him. Well, like what, though? 60 Minutes in 2020. Is he 80? He's the He's oldest man in the world. Yeah, He eats ice cream <laughs> and watches 60 Minutes in 2020. And Shark Tank. And Shark Tank. Those are his three too. shows that he watches. I'm okay. like, you're the oldest I man. I never watch anything live. Everything's DVR. No. No. Yeah. I can't watch. I'm too busy to sit down yeah. and watch I can't watch stand things. commercials. I watch things on Hulu. Well. But yeah, I don't watch anything. And then, like, also when... You know, my work schedule is until 8. What's what's on past 8 o'clock on a normal yeah. night, you know? <laughs> Anything you DVR'd? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, you have to DVR now. Yeah, I watch things on Hulu. Kind of I don't. I wouldn't even oh, no. need, like, a yeah. television screen. I watch everything on, like, when I do watch something, it's always on my iPad. Well, see, in a dark room with a sleeping baby t- next to me. <laughs> what you guys are talking about is making my point. The fact that you won't watch, watch commercials makes yeah. every one of those TV series uh, worthless to an advertiser. Yeah. Nobody watches yeah. your commercials. Why would you buy them? Yeah. Well, the only thing they can do is do, they can do product placement. Say, yeah. They can yeah, do they some can. nefarious yeah. way of getting you to buy their stuff. Yeah. Well, I do love. I love Ooh, that when they first started doing product placement. I just thought it was wonderful. Go to a movie and the guy would go, "Hey, sir, can I help you?" Yes, I'd like a Pepsi Light. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, that's. I don't know. They're good, but I don't know if they're good enough to just call it out in a movie. Have you noticed, too, like when we watch Will and Grace, all of a sudden it will pause in the middle of the show and it will say, we'll be back right after this one-minute commercial break. So they're even letting you know how long the commercial break is. So you're like, oh, a minute's not that long. So then you don't fast forward. Yeah. So, yeah, now they're. No, that's exactly it. Forewarning you how long the commercial (laughs) break's going to be. So you have one minute to go to the bathroom. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Something. I yeah. think that that's exactly exactly the problem they're having is that even though you are under 40 and you do watch television, you don't watch it live no. and you don't watch the commercial. No one well, does. Even, I mean, we always record everything. Yeah, and we if we want to sit down and watch something, we always look on what's the what's on the recorded list first. Yeah, we do. That's, true. that's yeah. very, very that's true. We do. So the only thing that's watched on television by people of all ages would be sports. That's it. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl, the World Series, you know, the NHL championship, the Stanley Cup, the NBA championships, uh, college games. You'll watch that live on television. And, and even that, i got to be honest with you, when I watch the Vikings, I record it and sure go, go in an hour late. Yeah. So I don't watch any of the commercials on football even. And yeah. you zi- I don't even understand how you do that. You zip through the plays yeah. and somehow you still know when to Stop it and watch it. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Well, <laughs> well in football, <laughs> apparently, in do. football, there's so much like just they're standing around, yeah. they're just looking at yeah. each other, yeah. they're having yeah. a discussion. Let's review they're that play blah, blah, for blah, five blah. minutes. Probably so, like yeah. half of the the time frame is of them just standing around waiting yeah. and exactly. you yelling at your TV. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I do remember we were the first ones. I believe in the in the state of Minnesota to have what was it called TiVo? TiVo. It was yeah. called TiVo, and, oh. and the guy contacted me and said, "I want to give you a TiVo." Sorry. I want to give you a TiVo. So people, 
I say, I got this TiVo, and they said, what is that? I said, you zip through the commercials. Well, how do you do that? I said, you record it. What do you mean you record it on, like, a tape player? You can pause live TV. <laughs> yeah, I know. I they was had, like, I'm all about this. They had no idea what the hell I was talking about. I will never forget. But it took them a hell of a long. Remember how when they installed the TiVo, how long it took? Because there were all these wires to everything. Mm, I don't remember that. Oh, God, I just yes, remember it loving it so very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well... You set the tone for everybody else, so it all worked out in the end. But, yeah, that's one of the problems that TV has is that people don't want to watch the commercials. And I did own my, the, the uh, what is it, the ELR, Cadillac ELR I had? Oh, yeah. That had delay for radio. So you could you could pause radio and then zip through the commercials. My, it did? My, yeah. Al- my it Outback did. has that. Interesting. Oh, it does? Okay. Yeah, like if I, and if I talk to somebody on the phone, like if somebody calls me or I call them, the radio pauses and then starts back where it was before I took the call. Really? Yeah. Within within a like a couple minute gap. Like if I were on the phone for fifteen minutes, I don't think it would be that long, but interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kinda cool. Yeah. We shall take a break and be right back in a couple minutes. David Brown, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the wild definitive saga of rock's greatest supergroup right after this with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. All right, they're just calling uh, your mom. Okay, they'll the answer it now. So apparently, you guys didn't answer the phone. Yes. The... Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so he's, they're calling in right now. They're on. So David Brown's going to. They're on. Oh, okay, good. I'm on. David. I'm here. Good, I wanted yeah. to make sure. Sorry about that. I wanted to make sure we got you on okay. because I'm holding your book in my hands. Uh, I should mention, by the way, that I've been in radio for 48 years, and then uh, about a six-year period right in the middle, I worked at Capitol Records. Uh, so this this book is very, very special to me. I, I got to start, David, by telling you, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the wild definitive saga of rock's greatest super group. 
Uh, David Crosby is one of my favorite people to interview because he goes off on tangents. It's just, it's wonderful. When he gets something in his heart and in his head, he definitely has to tell everybody. So he's a great interview because he's very passionate about his beliefs. Uh, and then Stephen Stills, uh, last time we had him on, I was talking to him, and we were having a great conversation. And then one of the other people on the show interrupted to ask this not very good question. And Stephen Stills says to him, why don't you shut up and let me talk to Tom? <laughs> <laughs> It was very fun. It was very funny. I don't know. I, I, great book. I'm like I said. I got the book right here in front Thank of you. me. David Brown. Um, how long did this take to, to write this? Was it easy to write first of all, and, and did it take a long time? Because I, getting all those people in different con- look. Graham Nash, another great guy. Neil Young, very interesting guy. Absolutely. Anybody that that has his house in his barn wired for sound when he's sitting on the lake, I love that. Uh, it's pretty yeah, amazing. They're so. all such iconic. They're all such iconic characters, you know, and and they've been that way to me since I was a teenager. You know, following them in the seventies, and even this was like after mm-hmm. they broke up the first time, and they were like already legends. And uh, I think that's you know you mentioned earlier about Crosby just spewing like that. I think it's one of the things that we've always uh, responded to about these guys. They they just like mm-hmm. put it out there, like how they're feeling, whether it's in interviews, where sometimes they would even take on each other, you know, to, uh, you know, to kind of their foibles. I mean, there was something uh, always for human, I think, about these guys that, that also added to their kind of legend as well as the music. You know, we could kind of relate to their ups and downs. And, and to answer your question, you know, I've been working on the book about three years, um, mm-hmm. and although I've been, you know, following it for so long, I felt like the story was kind of ingrained in my brain, you know, the, the whole, you know, yeah. the albums, the breakups, I mean, I was kind of living that in real time, you know, as a fan, going back to, going back to the 70s, you know, and, and, um, and so it, you know, that, that saga, which is quite a remarkable 50-year saga, has been just like in my head the whole time. It was just fun to kind of just be able to put it out there, and, you know, on the pages. No, I could see that. Obviously, it's a labor of love reading the book. It, it just, you could tell that you admire all four of them. And I understand why you would admire all four of them. I've not spent a lot of time with Neil Young. I talked to him once. But Crosby, Nash, and Stills, I suppose I should say it in the right order, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, because that was the original group before they added Neil <laughs> or, Young. Or Stills, but, or, or Stills, Crosby, Nash, as they were supposed to be called in the beginning. Oh, I didn't as know I that. Tell me about that. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's one of those things you just find, you know, I interviewed tons of people, but I also, like, went back and read tons of old articles about them, and they started recording the first Crosby, Stills, and Nash record in February of 69, and that same month there was an article in, in Billboard, one of the, the music trade magazine, announcing this project, and it said something like, in the studio recording in L.A. are Stills, Crosby, Nash, and it was with hyphens in between each name, and I went, Stills, Crosby, Nash, what, what the heck is that? So when I interviewed David and Graham, and I, I kind of brought that up, and they said, "Yeah, that was, you know, that was our original name." Stephen wanted that's how he that's how he wanted it to be, uh, but mm-hmm. we talked him out of it because it doesn't sound good. It, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash sounds better. And then, you know, Crosby, who's not who's not uh, lacking in confidence, uh, added to me. He said, "Well, also, you know, I, I was I was I was in the birds. I had the hits. You know, so people knew who I was. Well, <laughs> like you should come well, I tell you what, though, so, yeah, Buffalo was, Springfield uh, and 
and the Hollies, those, those are pretty good groups, too. I mean, let's not get our I, – look, I was a huge Birds fan, so I know exactly what you're talking about there. But Buffalo Springfield, fantastic. The Hollies, you get on the list. Mm-hmm. These guys, as they say, have the chops uh, and, and always did since the, what, the early 60s, right? Right, right, totally. Uh, and, and, and yet they created this whole new sound – um, with the three of them, that was just so fascinating. It didn't, you know, when you heard that first Cosby Stills and Nash record, you didn't think, oh, they're they're ripping off the Birds or they're ripping off the Springfield or the right. Hollies. It was like this whole whole new thing that they created, which is very unusual. Usually, when you have for, you know former members of groups forming a new group, you hear a lot of the 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 old stuff in there somewhere, or it's a watered down version. And that wasn't the case at all with these guys. It's like. You know, thanks largely to Stills, who played most of the instruments on that first record. They, mm-hmm. you know, the, from the harmonies to the songs to, to a song like Wooden Ships, a song like Guinevere. Like, you know, we've we've heard, we've all heard that song so many times you know, now in 50 years, but you kind of forget how how unusual that was in terms of the chord and the chords and the harmonies and the structure of it, and there weren't drums and. That was just such an unusual song, and it came out of almost like nowhere in some way, even though they had all these other bands. No, I, 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 something just occurred to me. When I was a young teenager, uh, I was sitting with a friend, and he was smoking pot. I was not smoking pot, but he was. And Eight Miles High came on the radio, and mm. he said, man, I love mm. getting high to this song. And I said, that's not a coincidence that you love getting high to Eight Miles High, okay? <laughs> <laughs> great song though I mean what a great song there you song. go they're just wonderful and, and of course all... the, 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 yeah and of course the jokey first name of Crosby and it was, Crosby and Stills were a group first and then Nash came later mm-hmm. when Crosby and Stills were they, they were jokingly going to call themselves the Frozen Noses which was not a drug <laughs> reference at all of course <laughs> no no <laughs> God, how, were they were were they accessible to you while you were writing this? While you were writing the book, did, did, were they accessible to you all of them? Um, I some of them. I mean, I got Crosby and Nash uh, for for several interviews each, and that was great. Good. Stephen's writing his own book, what I was told, so mm-hmm. he wants to save everything. I've interviewed him in the past, but you know he wants to, and I kind of understand that, although it was disappointing. Uh, so, and then I you know talked to God about a hundred people from. People like Judy Collins and Roger McGuinn of the Birds and Mickey Hart and oh, Grateful yeah. Dead, who hung out with them a lot, all the way to you know former managers and uh, some of their some of their backup musicians and stuff who were with them over the years. And uh, so yeah, kind of got a, a whole uh, an array of voices in there to kind of tell this uh, story uh, as it as it went through all the different eras too and all the ups and downs and all the drama. <laughs> a lot of people along the way com- willing to comment on that. Yeah, I could see that. You know, you talk about the responsibility of being in a band like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. The world was changing, you know, all that death that happened in the 60s, you know, JFK and Martin Luther King, and you just keep going on the list. There's all this turmoil, there's a war going on. Uh, Ohio obviously happened. Uh, uh, and, and all of a sudden you look at this, and they, they did realize they have a responsibility to talk about this whole thing. It's not just... You know, let's go and have a date. And there's nothing wrong with the, you know, obviously uh, the Beatles were great at the date uh, songs about, you know, uh, seeing this beautiful girl and wanting to maybe spend some time with her. But these guys stepped right up and said, hey, look, we got to talk about what's really going on in the world, as did other bands. But it was a hell of an era to be a teenager, and I'll tell you that, David. 
Oh, God, I can't imagine, you know. Um, you know, they were, you know, uh, I mean, Crosby has always said said to me, you know, they saw themselves as like the, you know, the town crier of the time, especially on something like Ohio. Uh-huh. And I think that was also that was also part of the, the, the immense bond that they had with their fans early on. It wasn't just that they were sort of like they were four very different guys like the Beatles and they had great music, but they had they had these songs from Chicago to Ohio, uh, you know, still said for what it's worth from Buffalo Springfield that mm-hmm. kind of addressed the turmoil of the time. Long Time Gone, written right after Bobby Kennedy was killed. You know, the, right. uh, they were reacting to the times, not in every song, but, but in enough songs that made this made them, you know, be that, you know, voice of a generation is such a cliche to say that but but they really were for for a year or two there it was really intense and and when they and then when they started to break up when the rumors were circulating they were breaking up in 1970 you know there was at least one fan who went to graham nash at one of their shows and he was like please don't break up we need you you know and you know things mm-hmm. like that that's a that's a very intense thing to hear you know and it shows it shows what they tapped into at that moment it was really powerful and huge and um, it was. You know, they sold three million records back then, which was, you know, as you know, that's a lot of records in 1970. Mm-hmm. <laughs> three million records, you know. So they they and, um, they rode that zeitgeist in, for sure. So people would understand. Here are a bunch of guys that were in the Birds and in the Hollies and in Buffalo Springfield and all, but. You look at the charts back in those days, like you got the Beatles, you got the Rolling Stones, you got Eric Burden and the Animals, you got you keep going down the list. But we can compete. I mean, how many great groups back in Jimi Hendrix, 1967. It was, I'm surprised there was enough room on the charts for all these really, really good bands because they were all really good bands. Is that, do I think that, David, because I, I, I was a teenager? Do you think that's why? Why? <laughs> What's funny is I was actually looking at a lot of the, the charts from around this time, and it was actually funny to see what was uh, competing with all these groups. And, you know, you'd see that stuff, and you'd also see Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, yeah. and you'd see uh, That's right. Sinatra Records, you know, all that stuff in the top ten, fighting it out with, with uh, you know, with, with, with Hendrix and all those people. That's almost funnier now to look in retrospect. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that would be kind of a, you got Frank Sinatra doing something. Well, the Beatles didn't do a good enough job. I'm going to do something. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, he did. A, he did uh, his infamous version of Mrs. Robinson. You know, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. I think they made fun of that on Saturday Night Live. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, they did make fun of Cuckoo Cuckoo and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> right, right. I suppose. He, he, he actually, he actually this is. Yeah, he, he changed he changed the line to uh, messing with that young stuff like you do. Uh, without, I don't know if he even got Paul Simon's permission to do that. But, yeah. yeah, I don't know. If that's a good idea, anyway. But uh, no. look, I, yeah. I love talking to people talking to people about this era. Because, as I said, I was a young teenage boy, and the world was in turmoil, and everybody was dying and getting shot, and they were dying. Older friends who were being shipped home, dead uh, from the Vietnam War. It was a very stressful time to be a teenager. And and people right. like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young made it a hell of a lot more livable. Not, not palatable, I'm sure, but a lot more. You could at least see, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe there is something in the future. These guys actually care about, and I think that's a, that's the takeaway I have from Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young. They actually did care about 
where society was headed, where the United States was headed. And at least that was the impression I got. Uh, do you feel that way as well? They do. They did. And I think I think they still do, in a sense. You know, they're still mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, politically active in their ways and, and doing benefits for different causes. And, you know, um, when, when the Occupy happened a few years ago, you know, Crosby Nash happened to be in New York. Uh, they're not speaking mm-hmm. to each other now, but but back in 2011, I believe that was, they were, and they they just grabbed their guitars and jumped in a cab and went down there and just sang for the the people who were out there protesting just to enter, entertain the troops almost, you know, in a way. So I think that that still lives on in them, even though they're they're all dispersed and you know it's hard to tell tell if there'll be another reunion tour at this point. But I mean, I think that's really just a part of their. Uh, uh, you know their whole being, and, and in fact, the last tour they did with Neil was 2006, where he he put out an album called "Living with War" with his kind of anti mm-hmm. uh, anti Iraq George Bush songs, and so they were singing those songs at night. You know, songs like "Let's Impeach the President," and then during the day, Stills was out doing campaigning for you know Democratic candidates for local you know congressional seats, and so mm-hmm. you know it's it, it's just it's just part of part of who they are, you know, as well as sort of entertainers, you know. And they've kind of kind of carried that with them, and and I think you're right. I, mean, I think that you know I, I was asking um, one of their one of their original fans for the book who I knew. Well, you know I was I was nine when Crosby, Stills and Nash the first album came out, so I vaguely mm-hmm. remember it, but I wasn't you know a teenager. And I said to this friend of mine who was older, I said, well, what? Why did that record connect? And he goes, you know, you have to understand the year before we had. Bobby Kennedy killed and Martin Luther King and Democratic mm-hmm. Convention and yep. Nixon gets elected and here's this beautiful record with these harmonies and it, it sort of, you know, it was an uplifting record at a time when we all needed that, you know. And I think Absolutely. That's, that's probably right. Yeah. No, it is. And have, and have still thing, it's the dark hour of the dawn. Yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash yeah. & Young, The Wild Definitive Saga of Rock's Greatest Supergroup. David Brown, the book's doing very well, I trust, because it is a hell of a good book. I appreciate your time today, David. Thanks very much. Thanks, Tom. Much appreciate your time. Have a good one. Absolutely. You too. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. 